Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, I hope you guys are doing good today, um, having a good day and a good week, and, and are here ready to experience all that God has for you. If you have your Bible, open it up to John and Exodus. We're going to be in both places. John for just a verse, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time in Exodus. I want to start with a story this morning. I heard this story a while back about a poor man who was living on the streets in America, and uh, life wasn't good for him. He just had a a run of bad luck and some bad choices. It just resulted in um, bad circumstances that he was living in. He had lost all contact with his friends. He had lost contact with his family. The only thing he knew about his family was that they were a continent away. Um, However, this man, he had a son, and his son had accomplished a great deal in life. In spite of his father's absence and his father's bad choices, his son was doing really, really well. He was was successful, and he was blessed. He had a happy marriage. He had loving children, and he had recently been promoted to the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Well, this young CEO was feeling blessed, and he decided it was time to reach out to his estranged father. He wanted to find him, and so he sent out the investigators to go look and and to run his father down and to make contact with him. After several months of searching, he was able to identify his father and finally, after years and years and years, make contact with him. Through that conversation, he decided that he was going to bring his father home to live in his house with him, and he decided rather than buy him a plane ticket to bring him overseas, he wanted to book him on a cruise ship so that he could cross the ocean in style. He, he thought, you know, dad has lived such a hard life. I want to do something special for him. I want him to live in luxury for a few days before he comes and stays with us. And so this poor man, he got his ticket and he boarded the cruise ship. He had one bag in his hand, and it contained everything that he owned. And as he stepped on that cruise ship, he was excited but a little bit nervous to go and see his son that he hadn't seen in so many years. And day after day, as that cruise ship crossed the ocean, he would go out into the morning sun, and he would grab his crackers, and he would go sit in the corner of the cruise ship. Day after day, he would would ration out those crackers, and he would eat them while he was watching the other vacationers and the other cruisers. He would look across the the tables and he would see all of them go up to this massive buffet full of food from all over the world and, and more desserts than one person could possibly eat. And he would see them laughing and enjoying each other and celebrating. And after they ate their meal and then their dessert, they would go get ice cream and popcorn and all of this stuff. And he would set there envious of their relationship but also the access that they had to all the spoils of the cruise ship. Day after day, he would go there and sit, and he would eat his crackers alone and in silence, watching the other passengers. Well, one day, a passenger on, the board, sh- on, on board the ship, he noticed this, this man sitting there all by himself, rationing out these crackers, and he approached him, and he said, Sir, I, I've noticed you sitting here, and you come out here day after day. You sit in this corner, And you just eat these crackers. Why would you not go and eat from the buffet? The poor man looked at him a little bit ashamed. And he said, you know what? I've been living on the streets for these last several years. And my son made contact with me. He said, I don't have anything to my name. I don't have any money. My son bought this ticket for me to go and live with them. 
And uh, I'm here today just trying to make it to the other side, but I don't have any money to pay for any of the food on this ship. The vacationer said, sir, that ticket that your son purchased for you was an all-inclusive ticket. To be on the cruise is to have access to all that the cruise offers. He said, the food is included. Eat freely. It's already been paid for. He said, it's already been paid for. I want to say that one more time. It's already been paid for. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. It's already been paid for. Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, I, I didn't come that you would just have life. He said, I came that you would have abundant life. Jesus didn't come so that we could just survive another day. He came that we could have life and have it abundantly. Jesus didn't just come so that we could exist, that we could just go through the motions, that we could just survive. He came that we would have life and have it abundantly. Look, Jesus didn't come. He didn't come and, and abandon all of the glory of heaven for 33 years to live with us on earth, to show us the way, to explain us the way, and to provide the way on the cross. He didn't come and do all of that so that we could gather in church services, that we could gather in, in life groups, so that we could gather in equipped classes and talk about the promises of God. Jesus came so that we could live out the promises of God. Jesus came that we would have life and have it abundantly, he says. Abundantly. There are too many believers that are hunched over in the corner existing on spiritual crackers. Just over here, going through the motions, and, and, and most of us are existing in this way where, where we're looking around and we realize that we're on the ship, right? Like, like we have prayed the prayer of salvation. We've committed our heart. We've committed our life to Jesus. We know that we're en route to heaven, and so, and so we're okay that we're on the ship, but we're looking around and we're seeing other believers and other Christians living in, in the full blessings and the full abundance that Jesus has to offer, and we're wondering, what in the world do they have that we don't? The only thing that they have that we don't is the realization that everything that God offers, we have access to, and they've possessed it, and we're content to just eat our crackers. You see, most of us are existing on those spiritual crackers when God is offering a spiritual buffet. He says, you have access to all of it. And we're, we know that we're on the boat, and we think, I guess, I guess that's good enough. I guess it's good enough to, to be on the boat. And, and I wonder why we settle for that. I wonder why we settle for good enough when Jesus has given us access to every blessing, every promise, every victory in scripture, and it's already been bought and paid for. I wonder why we're so comfortable with just good enough when Jesus paid for the ticket and it was all-inclusive. I wonder why we're comfortable and we are willing to settle with just good enough. Because, you know, when Jesus won the victory on the cross, when, when, he, when he purchased our salvation, when he won that victory, it was all-inclusive. That means that as believers, we have access to every promise. We have access to every blessing. 
We have access to every gift of the Holy Spirit. Every gift of the Holy Spirit. We have access to, we just need to possess. That means we have access to the gift of tongues and interpretation and the gift of wisdom and the gift of knowledge. That means we have access to a faith that, that has the power to change things. That we have access to the gift of miracles and healing. We have access to all of that. Jesus said, hey, look, that is all inclusive. Once you become a member of the kingdom of God, you have access to all that the kingdom has to offer. Jesus calls us sons and daughters of God. He gave us the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. That means we're in the family. That means we have access to all that our heavenly Father gives. So why do we settle for less? We have access to every freedom. We have access to every victory. We have access to every redemption. We have access to every provision. So why do we settle for good enough? I wonder. Jesus says, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have it abundantly. We have to stop settling for good enough. Because sometimes good enough isn't God enough. Sometimes good enough isn't God enough. We shouldn't settle for good enough marriages. We shouldn't settle for good enough Christianity. We shouldn't settle for good enough morality. We shouldn't settle for good enough freedom. We shouldn't settle for good enough joy. We shouldn't settle for good enough freedom because God came, Jesus came, that we may have life and have it abundantly. He has provided so much more than good enough for us. Oftentimes, when we settle for good enough, we miss out on the abundance that Jesus has to offer. When we're okay with good enough, we miss out on all the great things, all the abundance, and all the blessings that Jesus has provided. When we settle for good enough, we're just happy to be on the boat, content to sit in the corner eating our spiritual crackers when we miss out on all the joys and the blessing that the kingdom of God has to offer. Exodus chapter 3 it's a very familiar passage. We, we reference this awesome. It has so much good stuff in it. Um, God is speaking to Moses in this through the burning bush. And in this moment, he's commanding Moses to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Okay? Many of you know this story. It's familiar to you. God tells Moses that Pharaoh is going to resist. He gives him a warning. He says, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go out into the desert in worship. But God gives Pharaoh, uh, or God gives Moses a warning, says, He's going to resist. He's going to say no. He's going to fight against you. But God also promises Moses that he is going to do so many miraculous things. He's going to perform so many awesome miracles that at the end of this, Pharaoh is going to relent. And Pharaoh is going to eventually let the people go. And so the situation is that the Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years, okay? They'd been slaves. They'd been held there in captivity for 400 years. They didn't go there as slaves. They went there as free men. But the Egyptians realized that the Israelites were getting too big, too powerful, too blessed. So they had to surround them and enslave them to keep them from rising up. That was the Egyptians' fear. And so they'd held them in slavery and in captivity. And Moses was given this promise from God. He said, go there and free the Israelites from their captivity. Now, this promise was good enough. This promise was, was good enough. And so for those Israelites to hear that God 
cared about them, that God was listening to their prayers, that God was responding to their prayers, and sent a man there to help free them from this captivity, they should have been, they must have been thinking, wow, this is awesome. I couldn't ask for anything better than this. God's promise of deliverance was good enough. It would be like, um, let, let, let's say you grew up in some sort of a, a terrorist regime and your entire life you've lived under um, slavery and, a, and oppression and physical beatings and somebody came in and said, hey, in two months you're going to be completely free. You're going to walk out of this country a free man. You would be like, yes, amen, that is awesome, that is good enough. Yes? But... When God delivered this promise to Moses, he gave them the promise of freedom, which was, which was good enough. But there was a secondary promise here in verse 21 that I want you to consider, that I want us to consider. Because God gave the promise that was good enough, and then he, he followed it up with a secondary promise that it displayed an abundance of blessing. Look at this, verse 21. He says, and I will cause, God is telling Moses this before he goes. He says, and I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Get that. You will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. And so God promises freedom, which is good enough, and then he follows it up with an abundance promise, which is way, way more than good enough, with all of the blessings and the wealth as they leave. He promises that they won't leave empty-handed. So God lays out this plan for Moses. He says, I've heard the cry of the Israelites. I'm going to step in and free them. He says, Moses, I'm going to use you. You're going to be my representative to Pharaoh. And um, when they set you free, when you leave Egypt, I'm going to make you, the Israelites, a slave nation, instantly wealthy overnight. You're going to be free, but not only are you going to be free, you're going to be massively wealthy in a moment's notice, in a moment. So Moses begins to do what God asked him to do. He goes to the Israelite people. He goes to Pharaoh. And if you've read this story, if you've heard this story, you know there's a rhythm to this, right? Um, Moses goes into Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. Uh, Pharaoh says, not going to happen. And then God sends a plague. And, and we go through this rhythm over and over and over again. And this process, this rhythm isn't without pain. It's not without rejection, frustration, or disappointment because as the intensity of the plagues increase, the oppression and the beatings that the Egyptians are giving the Israelites begin to increase. And the anger that the Israelites have towards Moses begins to increase because though Moses comes in and says, hey, I'm going to be your redeemer, I'm going to help set you guys free, Moses hasn't done anything to make their life better up to this point. In fact, every attempt that Moses has made to free the Israelites has made their life worse. So the Israelites are mad at Moses, the Egyptians are mad at Moses, and it doesn't seem like anything is going very well at all. And the intensity of the plagues are increasing. God shows his hand more powerfully and more powerfully and more powerfully, and still things aren't really changing. God was making life more difficult for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. 
Pharaoh was making life more difficult for the Israelites, and the Israelites were making life more difficult for Moses. I can imagine that there was a point when Moses was like, man, I am just ready to be done with all of this. Everybody was, was amped up at that level of their breaking point. And so the situation is tense for everyone. Moses is tense. So after the seventh plague, the plague of hail, the Pharaoh kind of just has had enough. He's ready to be done with all of this stuff. Exodus chapter 10, verse 8 says this. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. They were brought into the throne room. <clears throat> All right, Pharaoh said, go and worship the Lord your God, but who exactly will be going with you? Now, now there, there, was a, there was a strategy that God gave to Moses in preparing the way for their, their complete freedom. He says, go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh that we need to march out a couple days journey into the desert and worship God. Like he didn't, he didn't come right out and say, hey, you got to let my people go. The slaves are done. You, we're just out of here. He says, he says, let my people go out into the desert and worship God. You see, it was offensive for the Egyptians, for them to worship God in, in Egypt the way that they wanted to. And so, and so Moses says, we're going to go out into the desert and we're going to worship. We're going to go have a church service. We're going to go out and we're going to praise. We're going to sing. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to have revival services. So you need to let us go out and worship God. So we got plague number seven, the plague of hail. And Pharaoh finally says, okay, all right. I'm going to let you go out into the desert and have your worship service. I'm going to let you go have your revival services. Go worship the Lord your God. But who exactly will be going with you? Who exactly is going to this church service with you? Verse 9, Moses replied, we will all go, all of us, young and old, our sons and daughters and our flocks and herds. We will all join together in celebrating a festival to the Lord. Verse 10, Pharaoh could see what's up, right? He responded, the Lord will certainly need to be with you if I let you take your little ones. I can see through your evil plan. Never. Only the men may go and worship the Lord since that is what you requested. And Pharaoh threw them out of the palace. So Pharaoh said, you can go, go and worship, go have your church services, but your kids are staying here. I mean, yeah, right. That's, that's not happening. That's not even an option. Look, for those of you who are in this place and, and you are responsible for for your kids or, or there's people in your home and in your life that, that you are responsible for. Maybe they're two, maybe they're 12, maybe they're 17, 18, but, but you still have some responsibility for them. If you ever find yourself in a position to improve your status positionally or financially, but it's going to hurt your kids spiritually, it may be a good opportunity for you, but it's not a God opportunity. You need to reconsider it may be a good opportunity, but it's not a God opportunity. If, if you step into a place that makes your life better, but it decreases your children's ability to connect with the Lord, it's not the opportunity that God has for you. You have to reconsider. Let us never be accused of pursuing our dreams at the cost of our children's eternity. No way. When, when I step into God's blessings, 
when I step into the fulfillment of God's promises. I want my family, I want my children, I want my spouse to be so close. I want them to be living in the wake of of my spiritual life that when I step, we collectively step together. Let me never get so far ahead that we abandon our children. Let us, as the spiritual leaders of our home, of our churches, never get so far ahead and move so fast that we abandon the needs of our little ones. Amen? Joshua chapter 24, verse 15 says, But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's standing in front of the congregation, and he says, look, you guys have to decide who you're going to worship. You have to decide where you're going to place your faith. You have to decide who you're going to believe in. You have to decide who you're going to serve. And so today, make a choice. Stop living in this, maybe this, and maybe that, and maybe a little bit of this, maybe a little bit of that. No, today, make a choice. You have to choose. Whatever you're going to choose, choose. He says, as for me and my house, we're going to choose the Lord. What he doesn't say is, as for me, I'm going to choose the Lord, and and my kids and my family, they're going to make their choices too. No, he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua says, in whatever capacity I have, in whatever ability I have to choose for my family, I'm going to choose the Lord. Look, we know that, that I can't pray the prayer of salvation for my kids. I get that. I can't pray um, that, that, I can't confess my kids' sins to God. I, I, I get that. It's an individual choice. They have to make that choice. They have to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior on their own. But in whatever capacity, in whatever ability I have to place my kids in the position to make that decision, I'm going to do that. And if ever I get an opportunity that is going to make it more difficult for my kids to be in that position, to make that choice, I'm going to reject that opportunity. Because those kids are so important to us. See, Pharaoh's offer wasn't good enough, and it wasn't God enough. So Moses says, no deal, we ain't doing this. So God responds with more plagues, locusts and darkness come, and and again, Pharaoh calls Moses in for a meeting, Exodus chapter 10, verse 24. Finally, Finally, Pharaoh called for Moses. He said, go and worship the Lord. He said, but leave your flocks and herds here. You may even take your little ones with you. So So a couple more plagues, Pharaoh is over it. He says, okay, Moses, whatever, you win. You win. Go, serve the Lord. Go, worship the Lord. Go, have your revival services. You can even take your kids. You can take your sons and daughters. You can take your your, your wives. Go, all of you, go out and do your thing. And now uh, Moses had to be thinking, like, this is it. Finally, this is it. They've been slaves for over 400 years, been living in captivity. The last couple of weeks have been the worst couple of weeks in in centuries as the beatings had increased, the work had increased. And Pharaoh finally says, go free. You guys are free to go. Everybody, get out of here, but leave your livestock behind. So now, if, if I was Moses, I don't know about you, but if I was Moses and I had that meeting with the Pharaoh and, and he said, go, all of you go, I would be like, yes, victory, vindication. Everybody who's complaining about me, how do you like me now, right? I've just set you free out of this place. And so I think he's going to go and, and rub everybody's noses in it. And he says, guys, follow me. We are out of here. Let's go. I would imagine that he looks at Aaron and he says, Aaron, let's go before he changes his mind. Hurry up. Let's go. He said we could leave. Let's leave. 
and, and, and Aaron says, well, what about like all of our stuff? Leave the stuff, right? Just leave it. Let's go. What about, what about all the flock? What about the herd? Just leave it. Let's go. We can get more. Let's get out of here. And if it was me, I would say freedom. Finally, this is the goal. This is what we're after. He's setting us free. That's what? It's good enough. It's good enough. If you were held captive by a terrorist organization and they said, look, you can go free, but you have to leave all of your personal items behind. How many of you be like, sweet, I'm out of here. Let's go. Like, that's not even a question. I'm going. You wouldn't think twice. You would just get out of here. But look at what Moses says. Verse 25. I don't have this on the screen, but you have to follow along there in your Bible. It says this. Moses said no. Think about this. They've been held in captivity, slaves, for 400 years. The last couple of weeks have been the worst that it's ever been. And Pharaoh says, you guys are free to go. Moses says, no, absolutely not. We ain't moving. We ain't leaving. We're not going anywhere. He says, no, you must provide with us animals for sacrifices and burnt offerings to the Lord our God. Your offer isn't good enough. He says, all of our livestock must go with us too. Not a hoof can be left behind. We must choose our sacrifices for the Lord our God from among these animals. And we won't know how we are to worship the Lord until we get there. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like Moses is pushing his luck a little bit. Like, Moses, you're not really in any position to negotiate like this. Like, just back off, right? Like, reel it in a little bit, or you're going to get yourself and all the Israelites killed. He says, you're free to go. Just go, man, and figure it out on the way. He's offering your freedom. Take it. It's good enough, right? That's what you're after. It's good enough. See, Pharaoh's offer was good enough, but it wasn't God enough. It was good enough but it wasn't God enough. Sometimes the enemy will offer you good enough to keep you from experiencing all that God has promised for you. Think about this. The enemy will never surrender ground that he doesn't have to. But the enemy is aware of the promises that God has given you. The enemy is aware of the victory. The enemy is aware of, of the, the, the access, the abundance that you have access to. And so what the enemy does is when he, when he raises up a standard of opposition, he will raise up a defense against you to keep you from possessing the abundance that God has prepared for you. And so he'll rise up this standard, and as you begin to uh, uh, step into that promise, as you begin to take ground, the enemy will, will uh, oppress, but he will have to be forced back. And finally, what the enemy does, because he never surrenders ground that he doesn't have to, he will back up, he will surrender this ground, because if he can convince you to live in good enough, you will never possess the abundance that God has for you. If he can get you to live here in good enough, you're going to miss out on everything that God has for you. We have to reconsider good enough. We have to reconsider good enough. Jesus says, I came that they may have life, and that's good enough. But he followed it up with, and have it abundantly. And that's God. That's God's dream. That's his desire for you. Allow me to pry a little bit. Some of you are here this morning and you're in a relationship and it's loving and it's committed and it's loyal and you have kids together and, and, and life is good for you. You're living together, you're not married. And you think we love, honor, and respect each other and that's good enough. And it may be good enough, but listen, it's not God enough. It's not God enough. 
Some of you are here and you started coming to church on a consistent basis, but you haven't started reading your Bible, applying the word of God to your life. You, you've not started living it. Um, you've not started living in obedience to what God has asked you to do. And you think, you know what, going to church, that's good enough. And it's, it's good, it's good enough, but it's not God enough. You might think that relying on the church to teach your kids about the Bible is good enough, and that's good, but it's not God enough because it is your responsibility to train, to preach to your kids, to teach them, to encourage them, and to raise them up as spiritual disciples in your home. You might think that working hard to get out of debt is good enough, and that's God's plan for your finances. It's, it's a good plan, but it's not God's total plan. Because he has a plan for your finances. He wants to, he wants to break the, the finances. He wants to break money's hold over your heart. You might think that the relationship that you are in right now is good enough, but it might not be God enough. Is it possible that you're settling for good enough and, and because you're settling for good enough, you're going to miss out on God's perfect plan for you? Let me just say too that if if you are married here, he is God's plan for you. She is God's plan for you. Like, well, I'm miserable. It, you know, you're gonna, have to, you're gonna have to find something else to figure that out. You're gonna have to work on that relationship. You're gonna have to pray through that. But I want you to know this morning, if you are married, there is nobody out there in the world that is God's plan for you. You are with God's plan for you. You might think that at your job you're working good enough, but I wonder, is it God enough? Is your work ethic, is your integrity, is your character, is your attitude reflecting Christ in your neighborhood? You may be thinking, I'm neighborly to everybody and that's good enough. I wave at people, I ask people how their vacation was, I know their names and that's good enough, but I wonder, is it God enough? Are you embracing the mission field that God has placed you in? Are you, are you acting as a believer that is, is committed to forcefully advance the kingdom in their neighborhood? Are, are, is, that, is that God enough? Is, is that, are you doing what God has asked you to do? Why are we content to settle for good enough and just willingly missing out on the blessings that God has for us? Sure, Moses could have left the livestock behind and he could have, he could have left Israel or left Egypt free, but he would have missed out on the promises of God if he would have settled for good enough. I want you to see how this closes. One more plague, the death angel comes in, Pharaoh has finally had enough. Look what happens in Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks, your herds, as you said, and be gone. Go. But bless me as you leave. Verse 33, all the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought we will all die. The Israelites took their bread dough before yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. Verse 35, and the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. So think about this. You've been held captivity, slave for 400 years as you're walking out of the country that has held you captive. As you are leaving... You're looking to the Egyptian neighbors and you're saying, hey, give me all your gold. Give me all your money. Sign your 401k over to me, right? Give it all to me. And they're like, yes, here you go. Here it is. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. 
Think of what would have happened if Moses would have settled for good enough. You can go, but your livestock stays. All right, that's good enough. Let's go. And they walk out of Egypt completely empty, dead broke. You see, Moses believed the promise of God when he said, you will not leave Egypt empty-handed. And when Pharaoh offers them an empty-handed freedom, Moses says, no way, no deal. We're not doing that. There must come a point in our lives as believers when we say, I will no longer settle for average. I will no longer settle for mediocrity. I will no longer settle for less than the full promises of God. We must come to the point where we say, I'm not going to sit in the corner of the cruise ship anymore living on crackers when God has offered an abundance of a buffet. That's not good enough. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it in abundance. Because the reality is this, that the price that Jesus paid on the cross, it was an all-inclusive price. Not only did the cross secure our ticket into eternity, yes, it did, and that's good enough. But when Jesus took our sins and our punishment, when he paid the price for our sins, when he paid the price that we could never afford, when he bore the lashes and the whips and the beatings and the stripes, and when he bore the full wrath of God on himself, that wrath that would crush us physically and crush us spiritually for all eternity, when Jesus bore that wrath on himself for us, when he paid that price, that sacrifice on the cross not only secured our ticket into eternity, which is good enough, but when we place our faith and our trust and our hope and our obedience in Him, we realize that that ticket not only purchased our, us access to the kingdom in eternity, but it becomes an all-inclusive ticket that gives us access to all of the abundance that the kingdom has to offer right here and right now. Joy, peace, and abundance preached that message last week about anxiety and worry and doubt, and I had so many people come up to me and say, man, that touched me. That was so good. That spoke right to me. I wonder why. Because we, as a people, have decided to live on the crackers in the corner rather than enjoy the abundance of peace that God has to offer. And I wonder what God is thinking when he looks down and he says, what are you doing over here? Why are you living in bondage when I've offered freedom? Why are you living in anxiety when I've offered peace? Why are you, why are you so unfulfilled in your direction when I've offered you purpose? What do you need this morning? Stand your feet all across this place. There's some of you that are committed to the kingdom of God, man. You want to do great things for God. And you're doing everything you can to study, and you're doing everything you can to do this on your own. But you've not realized that God has offered an abundance of anointing. So my question for you this morning is, is what do you need? Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes all across this place? What do you need? 
What are you missing out on? What are you trying to survive without this morning? What do you need? Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it in abundance. You need joy, it's available. You need peace, you need freedom. Do you need healing this morning? It's available in abundance. Do you need anointing this morning? Do you need wisdom? Do you need purpose? Do you need fulfillment? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need power? Do you need salvation? It's offered this morning in abundance. There is no limit. I came that they may have life and have it in abundance. It's time that we get up and start feasting from the spiritual buffet that Jesus has provided. What do you need this morning? What are you hungry for? What have you been living without? With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're gonna take just a couple of minutes and I'm gonna invite you down to this front area to, to spend some time praying. But that's simply the question. Do you need peace this morning? Have you been living outside of the abundance of peace and you need that this morning? Then I want you to come. We have an altar team that's gonna help pray with you. Do you need healing this morning? Then I want you to come. Do you need freedom this morning? then I want you to come. Do you need healing this morning? Then I want you to come, even now. I want you to begin to step out from your place that you're at in your seat, and I want you to come down. And you know what, sometimes there's just, there's just something about your, your body doing what your spirit is telling it to do. What do you need? Do you need peace in your life? Do you need peace this morning? I want you to come. Do you need hope this morning? Have you been existing without hope? Why would you exist without hope when Jesus has offered an abundance of it? Why would you exist without freedom when Jesus has offered an abundance of it? Are you in bondage this morning? Do you need freedom? Then I want you to come. You need salvation this morning? Have you been trying to do this on your own? Trying to, to work it out on your own? Trying to go through the motions on your own? And you can't do that on your own. Jesus has offered an abundance of salvation. Come and feast. I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you have any more questions or want to find out more about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.